Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org and please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. All right, looking at First uh, Thessalonians 1 through 11, every month uh, we, I strive on the third Wednesday to do a prophecy update. And last month I began looking at, I really, in my preparation, I studied from Second Thessalonians and realized in Second Thessalonians, and it's not a long book. It's only three chapters long, but he's talking about the coming of Christ, final judgment, the last days in every chapter. And I thought, well, we'll just go through each month. We'll take a chapter. And then I backed up a little bit. And last month we ended up looking at First Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. And now we're going to pick up in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'm not going to, you know, teach the whole chapter because I'm only looking at the portions of Scripture he talks about in-time events and we'll cover tonight these first 11 verses. So during this prophecy update, we find that Paul had written to the Thessalonians. He, he wrote to them about the last days and in February... We looked at the rapture of the church when Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, just backing up. He said, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord in the air and We shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So a lot of the church avoids teaching about end-time events, but I wanted to point out right off the bat tonight that last month in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Paul rounded out that teaching about the coming of the Lord by saying, comfort one another with these words. And tonight... When he talks about the day of the Lord, he says a similar thing in chapter 5, verses 10 through 11, just a preview, that whether we wake or sleep, whether meaning whether we're alive or dead, we each should live together with him. We should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other, edify one another, just as you are also doing. So in his closing for us, two chapters, closing out his letter, he's talking about comforting. He only used that word parakleo as the Greek word. It means to come alongside, um, to draw near. It's the same 
word that Jesus used when he talked about sending another comforter, sending the Holy Spirit, that parakleo or parakletus, the one who comes alongside. Uh, technically, it's kind of a, a term for a legal assistance. You're in court. You need a, a lawyer to come and help you out to get through this plea deal. Someone comes alongside to help you with that plea. Uh, the same words being used here in the Greek form in this, uh, in John chapter 14, it's parakletus. Here it's parakleo, but it's, you know, basically just slightly variation of the spelling of the word having the same meaning. One who comes alongside. We're to come alongside one another. We're to comfort. We're to encourage. And even adds that in chapter 5 by saying not only comfort but edify one another just as you are doing. I mentioned this last month but it's pretty incredible if you look at Paul ministering in Thessalonica we can only account for three weeks before he got ran out of town. So whether he had went back at another time we know that he sent people back to minister there but we never know if Paul going back to Thessalonica. He spent three weeks with them. He writes this first letter. He starts talking about end time events and he tells them by um, last month again, he said concerning those who are falling asleep, we don't sorrow like those who have no hope. And here tonight in verse 1, of chapter 5, he said, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, I have no need that I should write to you. So he had a very short period of time that he spent with them before it got too dangerous. The Apostle Paul often was beaten, ran out of town, thrown in prison, and it wasn't safe for him to continue in that city. But believers rose up in that city and during that short period of time, Paul was stressing that the Lord is coming again. And now he brings a little clarification of last day events. And we'll continue looking at that last month, looking at the rapture of the church. And this month, looking at the day of the Lord. And let's go ahead and pray and ask God to bless the teaching of his word. And we'll get into First Thessalonians chapter 5. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with us tonight. Help us to hear, Lord, by the promised uh, Paracletus, the comforter, the empowering of your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear the words that you would have for us this evening. Help us, Lord, to take comfort. And Lord, in this world we live in, today we need comfort. Help us to take comfort, Lord, that you are in control, that you are coming, coming again. And we look to you, Lord, for our help and hope. And tonight, our teacher, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Always our teacher. So times and seasons, he begins in verses one and two, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, I have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. <laughs> he begins by saying, I, I don't really need to explain this to you. You guys understand this. And this is something that I've learned. I've been around church for a little while in my life. Um, 
and probably learn how to walk and crawl in church. Uh, always been in a fellowship in the church, and I've heard many teachings uh, throughout the whole Bible and last day teachings as well. And I could say, as with Paul, for many of you, that I have no reason to rehearse these things for you. In fact, for some, it could be that you're not going to learn anything new tonight. Yet I think it's good for us to be reminded of these things. Perhaps you will learn something new. Maybe it's just a reminder, but I think that it is important for us to be reminded of the things, the events of the last day. I can tell you that in our country today, in the church today, the church has been so far away from this these portions of scripture that talks about last day events that they need a good reminder because they have forgotten and they have no fear of the Lord. They have more fear of man than they do of the Lord. And our church is, is depleting because of it. So Paul admits that he has no reason that he should actually need to write to the Thessalonians about the times and the seasons because they already have been taught about the day of the Lord. And also the, the, the Lord will come as a thief in the night. But I think there's a great clue, even in that wording, that the Lord will come as a thief in the night, that it really, first of all, emphasizes that we can't pinpoint the day of Jesus' coming. And Jesus taught this as well in the gospel, saying, no man knows the day or the hour of my coming, but my Father only. We can't pinpoint uh, the times and the seasons. In fact, Jesus said in Acts 1, 7, and 8, and these are some of the last words of Jesus recorded before he ascended into heaven. It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it's not that we're to be ignorant of these things. Paul said, I don't even need to teach you about times or seasons, for you yourselves already know. It's not that we're to be ignorant, but our concern, according to Jesus, is having the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're to be aware of the times and seasons that causes us to live in a state of readiness and helps us to become effective witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus comes. We are to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. We're to share about the word of Jesus Christ with others. We're pre to prepare others for the coming of Christ. Second, Secondly, we find that Jesus, he will come as a thief in the night. He'll come suddenly. Therefore, we're to watch. Um, I've had vehicles broken into back in the day when, you know, I grew up. We didn't lock our car doors. Lily and I got married. We moved to an area where you needed to lock your car doors. I didn't know that yet. I learned by having my stuff ripped off out of my car. I've had at school, when I was in high school, got, you know, in gym class, got my wallet stolen and 
Um, down in Florida, our car got broken down there. Our homes have been broken into. If we'd only known, if I'd only known the hour of the thief, that when that thief was coming, I would have been there. It wouldn't have happened. Or at least I would have fought to keep my stuff. But I never knew. I just suddenly discovered the next morning, the next day, or that day, that a thief had been around. In fact, Jesus talks about the suddenness of a thief and also that readiness of believers in Luke 12, 39 and 40, saying, But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief had come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you are to be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect it. We're to live in expectation of the Lord's return. We're to have knowledge of the times and seasons. We're to desire to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be effective witnesses for Christ and to live watchfully in expectation of the Lord's coming that we might be effective witnesses in this world that we live in. And finally, regarding the day of the Lord, Scripture tells us that it will be a day of great judgment. Now, in Zephaniah's day, he gives a prophecy that's very similar. And this is quite common in the Old Testament, especially that there would be kind of a one prophecy spoken, but a short term fulfillment of that prophecy and then a longer fulfillment of the prophecy, maybe still yet to come. You had the short term fulfillment. An example uh, Isaiah, for unto us a son is born, to unto us a son is given. Isaiah, um, that passage that talks about the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Isaiah's wife, when he married her, no doubt a virgin, she uh, became pregnant and they bore a son. That was the short-term fulfillment of it but not in the sense that we understand it with the coming of Christ to where Mary remained a virgin through the time that she gave birth to Jesus Christ. After that, it seems that Mary and Joseph had normal marital relationships because the Bible talks about four of his brothers and his sisters but there was a short-term fulfillment of the prophecy and a long-term. Here in Zephaniah, the short-term is that Judah was going to be judged by Babylon. And he called it the great day of the Lord. He said in Zephaniah 1, 14 through 18, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. And there the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities, against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuge." Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by fire, the fire of his jealousy, for he will make 
speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. So Zephaniah, short term, he's describing the Babylonian captivity and the destruction that would come upon the children of Judah and the southern kingdom of Judah, where he described as a day of bitter noise, of wrath, of trouble, of distress, of devastation, desolation, darkness, gloominess, of clouds and thick darkness, the sounding of a trumpet and of alarm, of great alarm. And in Revelation 6:17, talking about the future ultimate judgment of the whole world, when we talk today about the day of the Lord, we're talking about the return of Christ, the judgment of the whole world prior to the millennial kingdom of Christ. In Revelation 6:17, it tells us of that great day, the day of his wrath, it asks the question, who is able to stand? And so it's a rhetorical question because no one would be able to stand apart from the work of Christ in their lives. So in Zephaniah's day, because Judah had rejected God's laws, having cast him out of their lives, though they may have still worshipped at the temple, they were not truly worshipping God anymore. God was going to cast them out of the promised land, and he did. They were going to reap the price that they had sowed. In Jeremiah 2.17, it says, Have you not brought this on yourself in that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you in the way? And today, not only in the U.S., but throughout the whole world, we find that the world itself is ripe for the judgment of God. No doubt it has been ripe for the judgment of God many times since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But one day the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And those who believe, those who are living in preparedness, watchful, filled with the Holy Spirit, born again believers in Jesus Christ, they'll be saved from that day. But others, they will go through the judgment that God has in store for them. Last year during a prophecy update. We looked at Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. I'm only going to summarize this portion of Scripture without reading the Scripture itself. There, Amos describes the day of the Lord as unrelenting terror. And it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what our country is going through right now. Listen to how Amos described this day. It's like a man, after fleeing from a lion, he encounters a bear. And after fleeing into his house, he finds safety and he leans his hand on the wall just to be bitten by a poisonous snake. Amos used this to teach about the inescapable day of God's judgment. Now, while the day of the Lord is yet to come, I believe we are experiencing birth pangs of that coming day. One of the latest birth pangs is that of the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank that was based out in Santa Clara, California. It was the largest bank failure since 2008. And now it's in historically, you look it up, biggest bank failure, Washington Mutual, 2008. Second largest failure 
Silicon Valley Bank, we get to say in 2013. But wait, it's not yet finished because we got through one bank failure. We ran in the house, leaned our hand against the wall. And on Friday, Signature Bank, the customers got spooked. They withdrew more than $10 billion in deposits in one day. A bank run today is kind of more like this. Hey, you know, you don't actually have to run to the bank. But it became the third largest bank collapse in U.S. history. So we've had back-to-back in just the last week. So it appears to me, much like Amos in the last few years, and we take it back to the special presidential announcement of 15 days to slow the spread uh, that took place in March of 2020. And it seems like, man, we got through that. Got through that uh, using Amos as the example, the lion of COVID. And then we turned the corner to encounter a bear, some other catastrophe on the horizon. We get through that and now we're turning the corner again. And now the finances are in question. Last year I wrote an article for school about uh, a paper, I should say, not an article, but I wrote about the Great Recession. The Great Recession uh, took place back in 2007 to 2009. This is my opening paragraph for that paper that I wrote. Since the Great Depression, August 1929 to June of 1938, there have been 13 recessions in the United States that are described as a natural, though painful, part of the business cycle. The shortest recession was in 1980. It lasted six months. The longest began in December of 2007 and lasted until June of 2009, one year, six months. The U.S. is currently admitted its 13th recession. And I would I wrote this last year. And uh, historically, you have to look back and see what they actually describe recessions or not. So some would say that we've probably went into a couple of different recessions since coming out of COVID, or maybe they'll just lump them all together. I'm not sure. But as of writing this, we are in our 13th recession, maybe the 14th. Time will tell the length, the severity. I think we're learning the severity. And there I wanted to examine the 2007-2009 economic collapse that began because of bad bank business going on and loans. And it's all in the paper that I wrote, but some of the same stuff that they were doing back in 2007, 2008, they're still doing it today and it's caught up to them. Hyperinflation taking place, uh, the value of money declining, looking to gain investments by locking in some of the money, these, uh, especially the bank, Silicon Valley Bank, they were trying to lock in growth through uh, government bonds 
and they basically locked their funds. They made them unavailable. So our government, it's not just the banks, it's the government too. They're repeating past mistakes. They're helping to fuel the collapse of these banks, but also attempting to shore up the confidence of our financial institutions. Our government is continuing to repeat these mistakes. I was listening today of um, a Charlie Kirk podcast on the way to church this morning, and I a couple of sentences, not that Charlie said, but Edward Downed uh, was 10 years a fund manager at BlackRock. And he made two statements that just caught my attention. And I kind of paused the podcast, got into church, backed it up, found the timestamp. And here's the two sentences that he uh, spoke about. And this was today's podcast that was titled Judgment Day for America American economy. He said, this is the beginning of the end of the global financial system as we know. And then I put in it. I think he wanted to say it. <laughs> he was kind of going uh, through there. So I cleaned up all of his us. So I'll read it again. I throw my it in there for him. This is the beginning of the end of the financial system as we know it. And something new is coming in the next two or three years. And then he said another sentence, this will happen over time as the economy continues to slide into a deep, deep recession. So, yeah, that caught my attention. I've lived through more recessions than I probably am aware of. But since being married to that deeply affected Lily and I in our in our lives and just think about how many things we've defaulted. Think about have befallen our nation. Think about the Amos prophecy of, you know, you you fight off a lion just to be confronted with the bear. You get away from the bear. You get into your house where you think you're safe, lean against the wall, probably in a sense of relief, uh, and just to have a snake bite you. And just since 2022, some of the things that I wrote down, like, well, the COVID itself, but also like, Taking the jab, gay marriage, same-sex marriage, abortion issue, gender identity, trans issues, uh, women empowerment. But I tell you what, over the last six months, it seems like women put on the shelf for uh, men who want to be women to take their role instead. So no longer does it seem that they're trying to get the proper foothold for um, women. But hunger, poverty, Russian-Ukrainian war, China's possibility of attacking in tai- Taiwan, and uh, Israel's struggle with the Palestinians, with Syria, with Iran. Uh, people speaking about overpopulation, the LGBTQ plus rights climate change, critical race theory, racism, religious discrimination, mass shootings, the Second Amendment, voting rights, uh, inflation, gas prices, even baby food shortages, empty grocery shelves, bank collapses now added to the list. I'm not suggesting how we solve these problems. There's much smarter people in this world that can deal with these things. I'm reminding us as believers that We are to take note of the times and the seasons, as it told us here 
in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 and 2, concerning the times and the seasons. Jesus said in Mark 13, 29, when you see these things happening, know that it is near and at the door. We're to be aware. We're to watch. For they will say, and here's an interesting thing, back in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse, verse 3, they will say, peace and safety. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon the pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So we notice here that Paul now, he, he's already done it, but now it stands out to me when we get to verse 3. Because in, in verses 1 and 2, he's already used the pronoun you, uh, plural pronouns, for the church, talking about the church itself. And he'll continue in verses 1 and 2, 4 through 11. He'll use pronouns or terms concerning the church as you, brethren, sons of light, sons of day, we, us. But here in verse 3, also in verse 6 and in verse 7, he uses uh, pronouns of they, them, others, those. And so he puts a difference between believer and unbeliever. He makes clear distinction in verse 3. They say peace and safety. Then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, they shall not escape. So Paul excludes the believers out of this sudden destruction. But it does not mean that we won't go through stuff. And I believe that I changed my thinking as a kid growing up. And I grew up in a church that talked about the Lord coming at any time. And I didn't think that I would see the year 2000 and it's, what, 2023. So prove that wrong. But also it's given me opportunity to learn that, yes, I still believe that Jesus is coming. It can come at any time, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to go through stuff in preparation, the birth pangs, that we go through difficulties like um, recessions and banking collapse and the impact that that can have not only here but throughout the whole world. But I do not believe that we'll go through the day of the Lord as Paul is describing, talking about in First Thessalonians chapter 5, because In verse 9, he tells us, God did not appoint us to wrath. They will have sudden destruction, but we have not been appointed to wrath. So the day of the Lord speaks about when the Lord gathers his church together to be with him forever. And it, it can include the rapture of the church when the Lord comes for the church itself, but it also, uh, speaks about the day of the Lord, the coming judgment of the Lord when he judges this whole world. And the world often gets to this place, and right now they're not doing this, but there have been times when the world cries out peace and safety. And these are not bad things. We desire such things. The problem is that humanity can never usher in the peace that they think that they can do. They're thinking that through a one world government, they'll be able to solve everything. If we can just get control of our, of all the finances and make everything digital, as the guy I just read from said that it's coming, 
And the same guy says that said that also said, I pay everything in cash. He goes, I'm just fighting the system. He goes, I know it's coming, but until then, I pay everything in cash. And Charlie asked him, you mean cash, cash, like physical bills and not debit cards? He goes, no, no debit cards, cash. So we don't, Lily and I, we don't go that far, but um, that day can be coming. They think that they can shape the world and humanity will think that they can accomplish these things through their own ingenuity, but this is the predetermined counsel of God. One day, according to Revelation 13, 16 through 18, God will cause all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. To, I, I'm reading the wrong portion, but I applied it to the wrong person, I should say. This is the Antichrist, not God. Let me get it right. I was thinking of the uh, great white throne judgment where small and great will stand before the Lord. But before that, the Antichrist, now we'll read it with the right person in mind, Revelation 13, 16 through 18, he will cause the Antichrist, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on their foreheads so that no one can buy and sell except for those who have the mark of the name of the beast and the number of his name. And here is wisdom. Let him who understand calculate the number of the beast for his number of the man. He is the number of the man, 666. I know you guys are familiar with that, but I think we saw a foretaste of the buying and selling with the uh, what desired vaccine passports and or uh, over the last couple of years, businesses saying that if you don't get vaccinated, you can't work here. And that people, in a sense, saying we have to put humanity in front of your own personal feelings, thoughts or desires. And one of the major obstacles, and it still was even over the last couple of years, is the church and all the other various religions in the world. It's always been an obstacle for world governments or communism because our belief in God elevates, but also teaches us that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are um, not of this world, that we have a heavenly home and that God is our king and so we live in this world, but not, we're not of the world. And so the church came under attack here in the United States and in other parts of the world. Ultimately, God will solve the problem for them. One day, I believe, he'll take the church out of the picture and they can have their false peace and safety. They can have their seven years, one week according to Daniel 7.27. And although, although the world will get their one world government after three and a half years, things will begin to quickly fall apart from them. Paul, though he doesn't include the church in this, when he says sudden destruction will come upon them, he doesn't include the church. He talks about them and he talks about us. The interesting thing that many people feel that you know, I'll be good enough, I'll get by, the Lord will let me into heaven. But 
Jesus spoke about it differently. In John 3, verses 18 through 21, he talks about those who believe in him, that they are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already. And so it's faith in Jesus Christ that brings us in fellowship with God, not our good works, not the things that we do, but the faith that we have in the work that Christ did through his death, burial, and resurrection upon the cross. It's a prophecy update. I want to quickly just mention uh, what's a little bit of what's going on in Israel. One of the major things that I've been watching over in Israel is a protest that have been breaking out for five straight weeks now against the Israeli government who has proposed an overhaul of their judicial system. And we're talking about in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem and Haffa and Beersheba and other cities, uh, more than 100,000 people packing into the streets. And uh, there is a plan on the table now. I'll read the four main points of the plan, but they said if they could get this passed, they would add to the plan. Here's the four things that they desire to do. They want to override clause for the what we would deem our Supreme Court. So their Supreme Court, that the Knesset, which is their, they have one ruling house, the Knesset, it has 120 seats. It takes 61 seats to have the majority in the house. And we have the Senate and the Congress and the presidential branch. So they're set up a little different. So their Knesset is that one ruling house So the override clause, the Knesset would be able to override the Supreme Court decisions with a simple majority of 61 votes. Currently, the Supreme Court can strike down any law it finds to be unconstitutional. So basically, the Supreme Court can make a ruling. They're trying to do this with uh, the turnover of Roe versus Wade that we'll just, we don't like what the Supreme Court decided, so we're going to change it. This is what they're getting at. The Knesset would be able to override the Supreme Court decisions with a simple majority. And that's even a bigger deal, simple majority versus like three quarters of a vote, something would be even harder to do. Second thing they want is test of reliability. The Supreme Court would no longer be able to judge Knesset legislation appointments or other government decisions on the grounds of reason, reasonability. And they give an example of someone that Netanyahu appointed to be one of the ministers in the government. And they said it was highly unreasonable. They basically killed it last year in January because the guy had been convicted of crimes. It's like, he's not a good guy. So they would take away that ability the test of reasonability. The appointment of judges then would change how they appoint the Supreme Court judges. They do it differently than we do it here, but they would basically change how the judges are appointed in their land and legal advisors. The plan would also include charges are changing the laws so that the government ministers would be able to appoint their own legal advisors which is not in their authority to do so today. So they're, they're trying to overhaul the judicial system. People are really coming out against it. 
And uh, it's really dealing with the balance of branches of government in Israel. It would be like messing with our three main branches of government here in the United States. And they say, those who are against this reform, say that it would deal a fatal blow to democracy. At the same time, I believe our weakness here in the United States is causing repercussions in the Middle East in that Saudi Arabia announced on Friday, just this past Friday, that it will restore diplomatic ties with Iran and very soon set up two um, embassies in Iran because after having asked the United States for security guarantees and help with its civil nuclear program, the United States and Israel now, we find Saudi Arabia and Iran. We also find that this was mediated by China. So the United States, not the superpower in the middle of this whole mix, but now China rising up again, um, marks a victory for Iran and the defeat for Israel to a regime that has threatened to annihilate Israel. So apparently the lack of leadership that we have here in the United States right now is making room for China to continue to become a world power in our nation. So things are kind of shaking up. There's been violence in Israel as well taking place. And, you know, we just keep an eye on what's going on in Israel that we can know the times and the seasons, watch and be ready. Verses 4 and 5 in First Thessalonians 5. But you, brethren, you're not in darkness, so that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and the sons of day. You're not of the night nor of the darkness. So Paul, he lets them know, this. I'm not talking about you. When they, they're saying peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them, but you're not in the dark that it should overtake you like a thief. You are children of the light. Children of the light is a term that Paul used in Acts 26, 18, when the word of God says that the ministry of Christ to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and the inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me, talking about Jesus Christ, that the work of ministry is to turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that we might be forgiven, that we might receive an inheritance, that we are sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. So God saves us through the power of Jesus Christ. He opens our eyes to spiritual things. God's word prophesies about these last day events, but we are not to be caught unaware. And as he said here, we're not to be in darkness. We shouldn't be caught unaware like a thief in the night. We should pay attention to what's going on. Therefore, verses 6 and 7, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. So talking about being children of the day, children of the light, that we are watchful. We're not, it's not wrong. I mean, it's, he's not talking about real sleep in the sense of, hey, when I go to bed tonight, I'm going to do some 
real sleeping. I do it every night. Sometimes I sleep better than other nights, but I'm planning on getting rest tonight. Of course, we have to physically have that sleep. But here he's talking in the spiritual sense. We're not to be sleepwalking through this world in a sense, not aware, but we're to be watchful. We're to be sober, not like those who carouse around in the night, those who get drunk and are not paying attention to events that's going on in our world. We're to see these events unfolding, such as nations rising against nations, uh, a desire for a global monetary system, a smart chips that can contain all of our information, their famines, pestilence, earthquakes, um, extreme weather. We're to see these things, and all we're to know is like the Lord's coming is nearer now than when we first believed. Paul said this in Romans 13, 11 through 14. Know this, knowing the time, it's high time that we should awake out of sleep, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And we're to have that sense of readiness. We're to be awake. In Calvary Chapels, we have a distinctive, but not solely with Calvary Chapel movement, but overall in the Calvary Chapel movement, we fall into the category of having a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial view of last day prophecies. We're pre-tribulational because we believe the Lord is going to come and take his church out before the coming great tribulation. We're pre-millennial because we believe that Jesus is going to physically return to the earth, have a thousand-year reign that will be with the Lord at that time. And these beliefs cause us not only to solely fix our eyes upon the things of the world, we live in this world. We have to conduct ourselves in the world but we also have an eye on the coming of Christ. We keep those things in mind. So we are, verse 8, those who are of the day, be sober, he says, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of salvation. So he uses those terms, faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. He used it before at the beginning of his letter, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. So when in his introduction he says to the church in Thessalonica, I remember your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. Now he reminds them as he's coming to the close of the letter, saying, putting on the breastplate of faith, and love and the helmet of hope of salvation. So you think of a breastplate, it covers the vital organs. Um, think of soldiers or police officers today wearing their tactical gears. They're protecting their vital organs, especially the heart. And to cover our heart with faith and love. And to put on a helmet, again, uh, protecting your head from injury, brain injury, but the helmet of hope of that of our salvation. We're to have love, faith, love, and hope. He mentioned it to them at the opening of his letter. He mentions it again at the close of his letter. It reminds us of Ephesians 6:11, where Paul wrote to the church 
of Ephesus, saying, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And this hope, and this faith, and this love. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 24 and 25, that we are saved in this hope. But hope that is not seen is not hope. For why does one still hope in for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So if you're waiting for something, man, I hope I get a big birthday present this year, whenever your birthday is, mine's months away. But, um, and you have that anticipation. But once the presents arise, or present singular, no longer are you hoping because you have the gift. But he likes that faith, hope, and love. You may remember it from 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So we are, in verse 8, we're to be sober. We're to put on a breastplate of faith and love. Put on a helmet of hope, of salvation. In verse 9, because God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, whether we're alive or dead, we should live together with him. So there are many believers that the church, they believe that the church is going to go through the great tribulation. Some call themselves, we I had already described Calvary Chapel, uh, pre-tribulational, um, pre-millennial. Some describe themselves as panlinist, panlinist, however it pans out. I really have no dis- determination of what end times should be or what they might look like. But I think it matters in this sense. If I have a view that says that Jesus could come at any time for his church, if I have a view that understands that Jesus is going to have a thousand-year ring on the earth, it will make a difference in how I read all of Scripture. It gives me also an anticipation to share the gospel with others, to have that awareness that the Lord could come at any time. It should make me want to be a better witness for Christ to help others. But also here, Paul reminds us that God hasn't appointed us to wrath. I believe this is a good proof text that church will not go through the tribulation. He's not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been appointed to obtain salvation. There's many examples of those who were not appointed to wrath when wrath came upon this earth. Enoch has been viewed as a type of the church that was taken out before the flood. And yet Noah, as a type of Israel, went through the flood, as Israel will go through the tribulation. But believers taken out prior to that. 1 Peter 2.5, it says that God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the whole world of the ungodly. When God sent his angels to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy that wicked city, 
He spared Lot and his daughters. They were first taken out before the destruction came. They were not appointed to that wrath. Second Peter 2.7, Peter again says, And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. And then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations, reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. As believers, we have been appointed to obtain salvation, but we have not been appointed to wrath. And by saying whether we wake or sleep, Paul is tying it back to the rapture of the church, whether the Lord comes for us all at once, or he takes us one by one, and we just naturally pass away from this earth. One day we will be gathered together with the Lord in the air, with the whole body of the church. Therefore, verse 11, comfort each other and edify each other just as you are also doing. So we're to comfort and edify. We're to talk about these things. We're to encourage one another. We're to comfort Pericleo, as I already mentioned that in the intro, one who comes alongside. But we're also to edify, edify one another in the sense, it's a Greek word that means to be a house builder. And so it reminded me of Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and the edifying the same root Greek word here, the edifying of the body of Christ. We're to build up one another. And Father, I hope that you have built us up tonight through your word. Our world is in calamity from wars. Uh, the main one going on right now, Lord, in between Russia and Ukraine. But even today with one of our U.S. drones being Clipped or shot down by a Russian jet. Um, things are escalating. We have banks, Lord, collapsing in our own country that has repercussions going across the world. We have enemies of the U.S. and Israel making friends with allies of the U.S. and Israel, with Iran and China. A lot of things at play, Lord. This world can be a frightening place. And yet, Lord, we are not to be caught unaware. We're to know the times and seasons. We're to talk about these things. But we are to find our comfort in your word, in the truths of your word. That our salvation, Lord, is secure in you. And we look to you, Lord, for our help and our hope always. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the ladies have women's breakfast this Sunday, and we'll continue our study in the chronological, I said Sunday, Saturday is breakfast, church is Sunday, we'll be in the chronological gospels, looking at the uh, two gospels, Matthew and Mark, uh, I don't believe I'm touching the other two gospels this Sunday, as we are in the last year of Christ now, so we've covered uh, from his birth through his uh, through all the way through his 
second year of ministry, and now we're in that final year of ministry, and Jesus is working his way to, to the cross. It's been a pleasure to be with you tonight, and I pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God, God bless.